Joining us in the studio today us. is us, actually. Yes, we are joined by uh, by our own company. Isn't that correct? That's... I wouldn't have wanted it any other way, really. Um, right, so this is episode six, and it's called Leap to Confluence. And we shall talk about Leap and Confluence. Uh, not in the same breath, though, because that'd be too much, I think. That's a lot. Yeah. Just start talking about who we are. That might help. That might help. <laughs> We've literally only just said our names so far. Mm. So, Amira, please tell me more about you. Who are you? Up gone here. I'm Mira. You know what? Because you're mm. ill, right? You mm. feel like you remind me of this this video. This I've is seen not like, going to go well. No, it's not. No. They see uncles that are like, you know, when they go, Hi, I'm a <laughs> <laughs> Really like... That's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, the ones that you just want to throw a bowl of soup at. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't no, say but that. I did. So tell us a little bit more about kind of your background, how you got to where you got to. Um... Well, where do I start? Do I start age two? Um, where do I start? So you, okay, let me ask a couple of questions and maybe perhaps that's an avenue we can get into. So you come from a family where your parents are professional musicians. So yes. you grew up with music and being surrounded by musicians from quite an early on age Absolutely. and seeing your parents on stage. Yes. Um, so you could say that you've kind of been involved in the arts from quite, you know, from, from a very young, young age. Yes, I was. One of the first memories I have is um, going to some kind of function where my mum's performing and my dad's accompanying her on uh, tabla. So my mother's a, a professional um, ending classical and semi-classical vocalist and I just remember you know being sat on her lap and she would perform and I'd end up falling asleep well on just, stage um well sometimes it would be for like cultural sort of events where like she was one of a few right so not always like a professional gig in in that sense no it, it varied yeah um and um yeah you get good at that what, falling asleep? Yeah, just like desensitizing because eventually you get used to it as a child. But um, yeah, I was always very aware that um, they're quite respected and um, music featured very, very heavily in our family because also um, my grandfather's quite a um, um, well-known and established um, uh, musician um, in the Sikh community. Um, so I was also always when growing up, I was like, you know, I'd get people coming up to me and saying, oh, you're so-and-so's granddaughter, you're so-and-so's uh, daughter. And that was quite something to live up to. But I think it really instilled in me a pride in our roots and uh, how much we valued Indian classical music. So, yeah, and you'd also always get the when you're going to join them on stage. Which was the dreaded question for a while, but now it doesn't seem so bad. Do you still get it now? Do people still ask? Because you don't perform professionally oh. now, do you? Um, sometimes, yes. So um, my mother, my sister and I have a trio called Chorus and we perform world music um, in terms of... So my mother composes our compositions uh, and puts them to poetry from around the world. So sometimes it'll be Irish hymns, sometimes it'll be Sikh shabads, 
um, Hindu bhajans, just poetry that my sisters come up with as a songwriter. Um, and we perform it. Um, so I do sometimes. Um, not very much. But yes, and I do get that now. So yeah. I'm on completely the opposite spectrum. I know. So you have a foundation in Western classical music, don't you? It ish. I mean, I don't play, I don't perform. Um, I never have performed. So it's sort of a yes and no answer to that. So I don't come from a musical family at all. My family are not um affiliated in to the arts, uh music performance or otherwise in any way. Um and I never really even liked music actually to begin with. Yeah, I just I don't know. It just never really did anything for me. Um, and then yeah, so I went from kind of not really liking music at all to going through the big I call it my X Factor stage, where I would watch it every year and you know I would listen out for the music and and all that kind of really? stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I sort of really got into music. I think because of Leona Lewis, would you believe? So you know, bleeding I love. That. I remember yeah, right. Yeah. So I was listening to that song. I, I listened to it several times, and Bhangra was in the background as well because my older brother and sister. I was like, um, when did Leona Lewis add Bhangra to bleeding? <laughs> uh, she didn't, but this is a collaboration waiting to happen. Um, yeah, so they would listen to Bhangra and stuff, and it was ne- never really my thing. I never really got into it, but it was always there. Um, and then a piano came after that. And then I got into Western classical and opera. That sort of, yeah, that was that sort of journey. And then um, musicals were always in and about sort of then. Um, and at the same time as I was learning Western classical stuff, I also got into film music a lot. So as you as you already know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Yeah, you're um, wearing the jumper. To I am. It. I am actually wearing the jumper right now. Um so I got, I really got into film music, which I'm still, you know, I, I still love listening to film music now. Um, so that was sort of my journey. And it kind of happened all independently of my parents and my upbringing and my family. It's totally the opposite for me. How interesting. Yeah, it it is very, very, very different. And or my, I listened to Indian classical. Um, that only really happened. So Kawali I'd heard several times before, kind of, but when I started working for Saar, um, and n- because of that, I'm now listening to a lot more Indian classical, and you know, I I, I love listening to uh, Nikhil Banerjee. I think is is great. Um, is it Shahid Parvez? I think he's another sitarist. It's just really really good. Uh, and then of course Dabla Zakir Hussain just blew my mind completely. I mean, it was just like Zakir is nice. Though. It was just like how how can an individual do this? Um, so uh, how. What was your journey to finding Sai UK as an organization? Uh, Google is really the starting point for that one. Oh. Um, Google provides all. Pro- yeah, know, like we, there's a saying uh, amongst some Muslims anyway, but they would call it Mufti Google. Is it? Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, who should I ask? Oh, you know, go and ask Mufti scholar. Google. Google Scholar. Yeah, I was looking for a job. I'd finished my master's. I was looking for a job and I wasn't really getting anywhere. And nearly everything i would say at least 95 percent of places that i had applied to d- were not getting back to me i'd never actually hear from them again um and then this training opportunity called generation 21 came and i was like this is really interesting i think this is exactly where i need a training position because um, i'd heard a few times at least once that i'd applied for a job they were like yeah you're really good but 
if this was a training position, we would definitely have given it to you, but we need somebody that's on the other side of that. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation in a way. It's kind of like when you're at that stage, um, people want you, they want you as the fully formed oven ready package. Um, but there's no way that you could have done that unless if you had the privileges of kind of um, having, you know, coming from a family that's wealthy enough to be able to have provided stuff like that as you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this tra- I saw this training opportunity and I thought, well, I thought I'd be an idiot not to apply. I don't really know anything about Indian classical, but I think maybe that's not the point of it. But the least I can do is apply and then I can take it from there. So that's what I did. I applied and much to my surprise, I got an interview and then much to my larger shock, I actually got it. Here we are, seven, eight. Well, by the time I'm recording, it's seven months. But by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be it's almost a year. Let's just say almost a year. Here we are. It was quite similar for me, I think, as well. Except for the fact that um, growing up as an early teen, I I was very aware of Sai UK and what they do because of my sort of familiarity with Indian classical music and the music community. So I'd been to um, one of the summer schools um, back in 2011, maybe. And um, I was aware of the organization and what they did. And in much the same way as you, I kind of found this traineeship on arts jobs and all the rest is history. So, yeah. And now we've both got our projects and stuff that was a smooth segue wasn't it that was a really smooth segue um now look at us yes so now that we're working here it's we've been given our own projects to work on and your project is leap leap 2020 leap 2020 it is about what exactly leap 2020 is um all about celebrating female empowerment and um celebrating um everything to do with womanhood, uh, supporting uh, women in the arts and hopefully um, encouraging and uh, inspiring a new generation of young people to consider the arts as an exciting career choice, which is actually, having said everything I have about my background, something that I didn't realise was an option in terms of working with an organization or project managing a festival like this so giving them that opportunity and opening them up to those possibilities broadening their horizons in that way so it's a whole lot and it's over nine days and there are several um events so there'll be a vocal concert um a dance collaboration between different Indian classical styles um, be an open dance workshop to sort of explore um, their definition of uh, femininity Um, yes that's what I'm project managing at the moment it's crazy really because considering the amount of concerts that we give in any given season I think this is almost an equal amount if not more um, happening over the course of about 10 days is it 10 days nine two days. weeks nine days yeah um then we would over an entire season so it's a lot to us have you ever done really anything like this before no. project managed on this scale or even project managed mm. i have had experience sort of observing and co-managing a project so um 
for the Sai UK interview, I was actually asked to present um, a project that I had either managed or co-managed. Um, and I talked about the tour that I had just been on um, with my mother and our band um, because we uh, traveled to India and we did quite a few performances in um, a few different locations around India. And my mother was in charge of sort of uh, um, choosing the band and the pieces and coordinating everyone and organizing rehearsals and organizing plane tickets and itineraries and um, all sorts. Um, so I was able to see that um, very closely um, as part of that whole project. But this is the first time that I've had a project to manage. Um, I I say by myself, but there's obviously a lot of support that's been given by Sai UK because, um, as I've been told several times, there's the safety net of Kieran and the rest of the people in the office that are supporting us as trainees, um, just in case this is a very very new approach and it it can be overwhelming definitely it's just um i mean on, on my side it's i've never really managed i've done some projects like very small scale projects um oh you haven't you haven't said yet you you are a poet you are an I, artist i it's a title i don't really take you're a wordsmith that's just you me said that a, those are your words those yeah i mean it came out of my mouth but that doesn't make them mine you uh, write. You are a writer. We got to find something to express this because we can't just glide over it. Yeah, we can. Successfully did for so long <laughs> until I mentioned it. I don't really like calling myself a poet. I think that's an insult to other poets. <laughs> but all poets feel like their work can sometimes be either useless or like it's not, not worth a, publishing. A, a, I don't put the time and effort into the craft of writing poetry as so many other poets do. I sit down when I have an idea and I start writing stuff. And by the end, I usually end up with a poem. That's my writing style. That's my right. That's my writing practice. Not style. That's my writing practice. I don't spend like so many hours reading other people's poetry, analyzing it and reflecting on my own words and all that kind of, I don't do any of you that. You have to do that to be a poet. Many do. I think, I think, uh, like dancers, musicians and stuff, like they spend so much time going over their own craft, critiquing it and refining it and stuff but like that. Not necessarily someone else's. Okay, but you have to look at other people's stuff in order to inform your own. We only ever are, a, uh, not an accumulation, but, you know, we build on the, we, we take from the stuff that other people have done around us. Nothing is ever a hundred percent original because that would mean there's no outside influence on it whatsoever. I um, never thought you'd be the modest one out of the two of us. <laughs> out. I do not know what that means, viewers and listeners at home. You, are, you, you are an artist in some capacity, and we have been exploring. I mean, that I'm as a, part I consider myself a writer, yeah, but I don't. I don't. I write poetry, yes, but I don't and consider myself. And perform it. And perform it, but I don't. It don't consider myself as a poet i consider myself more as a writer because a writer part of it is because i don't i honestly do not give the amount of time and effort that many other poets and artists today do to their craft and i think it's just an insult for me to call myself a poet as a result 
But also when I call myself a writer, it means that I have the flexibility to be able to write different things rather than if I call myself a poet. Well, that means you write poetry. That's fair. Yes, I do that. But I also write for the stage. I also write for the screen um, and the occasional shopping note. That, then everyone's so, a writer. Then every ha, huh, so he's a writer, you know. So you are a writer. Yes, I write stuff. And you've had projects associated with that. You've managed. You've managed projects before. Um. Yeah, on a very small scale and a very small basis, I've managed projects. So Confluence, which is what I'm for Confluence Festival. Um, that's my biggest project to date. It's a huge. Uh, performances um, which will include dance music and theatre and so on and so forth on the main stage film screenings uh, workshops for people to get involved with uh, music and dance and crafts hopefully we'll have some kite making and kite flying in Millennium Square as well which I'm really excited about it'd be lovely to see sort of really colourful kites made on the day and then you get a chance to actually fly them as well in essentially the Weather permitting in the heart of Leeds in Millennium Square in you know, in an open public space, I think that'll be absolutely epic. Yeah, it's a huge project, but I really do believe in it because the overall aim of the project is not just to have a bunch of South Asian stuff inside the city centre, but it's uh, as the project is called, mobilizing South Asian communities. You know, we have our own cultural art forms and so on and so forth, and we're kind of we celebrate them within community centres um, across Leeds. And I and of course not just Leeds, but wherever South Asians are living in London, Birmingham, and you know these things, these events, cultural events do happen, and the idea is to bring those art forms into the city centre for everybody to kind of appreciate and enjoy on our terms. And I think that's the important thing. It's not coming through somebody else's eyes; it's coming through our eyes. And then another part of the project which I'm extremely excited about and I really uh, passionately believe in is that South Asia is a massive place. You and I both know that, right? I mean, it's incredibly diverse. Mm. Um, uh, I'm not talking necessarily about kind of national diversity, kind of Indian, Pakistan, uh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal. Um, and there are others as well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the diversity of people rather than nationality over here. Um, and sometimes because of those national boundaries that have been put there, sometimes because of that, there's you know, enmity and hatred and these sort of, you know, these sorts of horrible things about a people that were essentially kind of one, you know, once upon a time. Um, not once in a sense of, of a national identity, perhaps that certainly didn't exist in the way that we might talk about national identity today. But certainly these borders didn't exist. And, you know, we don't talk to each other enough, I don't think. Um, and I think that's a great shame. That's a real tragedy. I remember once... Um, I made a friend at university and, you know, we became really, really good friends. So I'm Indian, he's Pakistani. And I met his father uh, several times, uh, you know, over the years. And um, he told me, actually, my friend told me that, you know, he didn't trust me. His dad didn't trust me because I'm, in, in, I'm Indian and not Pakistani. Wow. He was quite wary of me. Yeah. But then over the years, he got to know me, you know, I carried on, you know, I spoke to him and um, and stuff like that, and his position softened, and and you know now he'll you know he'll he'll shake my hand, and his mom absolutely loves me, which is great. Uh, I mean, as sad as it is that that's the reality of the world that we live in, but that is what happens. Um, and it takes you know you got to step outside sometimes, and hopefully this is an event to kind of make these things happen. So we're working with South Asian groups across Leeds, and then during the course of that day, and before as well as hopefully after as well. Will give them the opportunity to be able to kind of socialize with one another and kind of enjoy each other's company and art and culture, um, and celebrate the differences that they have as well as celebrate what kind of keeps them together. 
I mean, at the end of the day, we're all people, right? We're all insan, we're all human. Um, but that's uh, that's confluence, not in a nutshell. It's more of a coconut, really, than a, <laughs> <laughs> than a walnut shell. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's <coughs> that's confluence. And then, of course, over the past so many weeks, we have been talking to uh, people in the studio recording this podcast. What are, uh, what are your highlights from this podcast? Um, the highlights from this season, they've all been <laughs> really, like, so interesting. Mm. Like, learning so much. I don't, I really don't think I can pick, honestly, uh, a highlight because there was so much I learned from, from Kieran about the background and of her sort of starting at Sa UK to um Vijay Ji Vijay Venkat talking about um what he's learned about music and being an, a multi-instrumentalist and how all those different practices have kind of helped him on his onward journey and his collaborations with people you know playing different instruments or um different musical traditions um to um Mitalji um who is you know really in an effort to develop her um approach called the cursive body trying to learn as much as she can about lots of different dance styles and i just think i've learned so much that it's all been very very special and this whoever i've mentioned this to friends family they've all said that's really cool normally you know you like who would get to do that as part of their job um it's been really enjoyable so far and lots more to come hopefully indeed um i'll i'll actually agree with everything that you said your highlights are actually my highlights uh, as well you can't do that i <laughs> i can i just did um, edit edit that edit 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 that <laughs> Um, no, it's been great. I mean, uh, Vijay talking about the kind of the mathematics of music and and whatnot was was quite illuminating. 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 Um, Mittal talking about uh, the, her new approach to dance, uh, the psychology of of dance and dance therapy and rehabilitation. I just thought that was just just absolutely fascinating it as really well. Was. Um, it was really quite mm-hmm. something. Um, um, I was. I really wanted to talk to Mittal about Sabiasachi. And I know performing that was that a special stage. moment as well because every yeah. every sort of Asian person I'd like to say is, knows about Sabiasachi as mm. a designer and like you know how sought after his designs are. So it was, you know, quite an experience. It's pretty epic to know that you know the adv- well not advice I guess but the guidance that he gave her Absolutely. was do what you want. <laughs> yeah, it's Which it sounds really basic and really simple, but there's there's a lot of truth to it because if you're not true to yourself, then what, you know, how are you going to succeed or achieve anything you want to? So out of the kind of the time that w- you have been at SAR, what is it that you would say that you have learned? What have I learned? I've learned the journey so far, the surprises, the unexpected, and the damn right ridiculous. Couldn't have said it better. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, so I was talking to Kieran a couple of weeks ago, and she said something you have to know about this field is that you will always get curveballs, good and bad. And she made sure to point that out. There will be good ones 
where an opportunity comes out of nowhere and it just changes everything. Or a bad curveball where things perhaps might not go the way you expected. There may be a silver lining, but again, good and bad has, you know, different aspects to it. So that's something that has really hit home and that that forces you to be adaptable and to have a quick turnaround time to um, rethink, be quick on your feet and um, making sure that you know your project inside out and you know what other possibilities are, you know where to branch out if if there's a curveball that forces you to turn a different way. Um, and something else that I think we'll, I will always remember is Kieran's analogy of a dinner party. I think it's just famous. Oh, what was that? Remind me. She always says, I think about a concert like a dinner party that I'm Im- inviting my dear friends to. And I put a lot of thought and love into what I'm cooking, how I present it, what my house looks like, where everything is positioned and placed so that it's, you know, easy access or that it sort of runs smoothly from one course or event to the next and it's because of that sort of analogy of how personal a dinner party is to someone that it translates into a a concert and how important it is for there to be a residual um, experience uh, left for the uh, the audience member to go away feeling like I'm satisfied like they've had that meal at that dinner party and they will always have a really good memory of how that was I think that's a great way of explaining you know how she does what she does and how how much she loves it so what have your highlights been what my highlights I saw a double I've been tuned for the very first time that was so simple and to the point I went on for ages yeah, but we can cut stuff out, so oh, okay. it's fine. Whoosh. That was fine. Okay, so go <laughs> go on, go on more about the double. Well, Why I've was learned, that so monumental? No, of course, I'm just. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm not going to leave it at that. Um. So I didn't. I didn't know doublers had to be tuned. That's that was the first piece of news to me, and then um, I found out how they were tuned, which is by a hammer. That was kind of news to me, and um, I love watching um, doubler players tune whilst they're performing. It's an art. It really it's is. It's just like it's like a you know like a dong dong dong. Can we keep that bit? <laughs> Playing with their right hand, tuning with the left, and then vice versa. Why that fascinates me is because you have to keep you have to keep the time cycle. The time for cycle. Another another <laughs> instrumentalist. If they lose it, the whole thing's gone, and it you have falling to restart apart. again. Oh yeah. It's quite a lot. Um, apart from that which was uh, a personal highlight i guess um it's nice to be on the it's it's kind of it's really lovely you know like once you've done a concert or an event you sit you know you stand there and everybody all the audience members are leaving and they all have lovely smiles on their faces and you know they've got you know they've got a good memory it's like you said you know if you'd put on a decent dinner party people are going to remember it and they remember this moment if they've had a really enjoyable time and they'll talk to others about it and you know for whatever and this is just um, and to reflect on my own experience as an audience member. If I've been to a really amazing show and I've had an absolutely amazing time, I forget about what, you know, the world and all its nonsense for 
the two, two and a half, three, whatever hours it is that I'm there, I forget about the entire world and I feel kind of rejuvenated at the end. And to see that on other people's faces because of work that you've done, that's really something quite special. Uh, And then, of course, there's all the kind of administrative stuff that we've learned to do. I mean, I think my time management has certainly gone a lot better. Mm -hmm. And now I preempt problems, which is exhausting, but you have to do it. It's like, well, this could probably go wrong, so let me plan for that. Every time I see something now in daily life, yeah. When I see like, I don't know, a brick in the road or like a pothole or something, I'm like, risk assessment. <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite annoying, isn't it? Yeah. This time in this traineeship, I feel like it's really not only honed our artistic, you know, ways of thinking about how a, how a performance could have been um, improved, but also the background work behind it in the organization, like, as you said, time management or, I don't know, action plans or budgets or um, preempting problems um, before they happen it's it's kind of worked both ways and it's quite mm. interesting in that sense I'll tell you one other thing that I've learned as well is to appreciate the amount of work that actually goes into putting oh, a concert absolutely. or whatever together something I had very little knowledge of before it's like the amount of money time and effort that goes into putting together a concert which for an audience member lasts from 7 or 7.30 till 9 9.30 or whatever you're there for about two and a half maybe three hours um, and then that's it. But for the people that are working on it, it's a completely different thing. And uh, I also volunteer for an AMDRAM, a local amateur dramatic society. And we were going through our finances r- uh, reasonably recently. And um, we were saying, like, if we if we actually worked at the actual cost of a ticket um, to put the shows on that we put on, people would be paying like 40, 50 pound. And that's mm. with the entire house sold out on every single performance tonight. But what do we actually, you know, as an amateur dramatic society, how much do we actually charge? And it's about, what, £13 a ticket? Because you can't really charge a huge amount more than that. Mm. It's a similar thing for us a lot. Like, you know, the amount of professionalism that goes into these concerts. And our tickets are not massively expensive. Um, but the amount of work that goes in is worth far more than the cost of a ticket price. Because if you start sticking ticket prices at 60-odd quid, very few people are going to turn up. And the people that can turn up are the ones that can afford it, which would say, you know, which would then you're basically saying that, right, if you can't afford to come, then you don't have access to this kind of art. And art is for everyone. It should be... The highest quality art should be enjoyed. You should be able to enjoy it, no matter what your background or your income is. Um, and that's why ticket prices are, are, are you know, are, you know are undersold in that sense. But the amount of work that goes in, it's just, it's just a bit crazy, isn't it? Um, so I'm, I'm, I am quite conscious of that. So even when I'm going to watch a show and I'm like, you know, I didn't like this or I did like this, I thought that was really well done. Because the amount of people that I worked on uh, put a lot of hard effort and time into putting these things together. So instead of saying that was terrible, you know, it's kind of, oh, maybe this could have been better by doing this. Um, or, yeah, I understand why you did this because of X, Y and Z. Um, so that's a, that's another learning sort of learning curve, I guess, for me. Mm. Um, right. Okay. So in the trailer, we talked about what is the f- what is the best rug out there. Mira, what is your favorite rug? Um, what's my favorite rug? Or rugs, or ragas rather. I do like a bit of Bobali. Mhm. I just I think it's a really pretty rug. The five note scale. I think it's just really lovely. And a jog. The jog I really like. Do you, you know jog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I think I think it's it can give a really nice effect to use alternation. Alten alten you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know me, I love I hear Bear of. I love Bear of. I don't know why I just do. <laughs> I wish I was more um I knew more about the technicalities of it, but I just don't. Of I hear Bear of. Of Bear of in general. <clears throat> uh but I really like that, but I really love Bimbalassi. There's something about that rag that just I don't know. I just really like it. It's it's kind of it's happened a few times where I kind of listen to something and I don't really know what it is, and I, I'll end up listening more intently. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, that was mm. that was bare. Oh, that was that was bimp. And that's kind of happened a few times. Well, just to make things even more fun, there are hundreds, hundreds of rugs. So I haven't scratched the surface yet. And I'm that's true. This. Barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? Something I really liked about uh, Kais's interview was he said Yemen feels like home and I yes. totally get that. I totally get that because obviously that's the first rag that you're taught when you start out learning uh, Indian classical music. But there was just, there was, there was so much sentimentality attached to that. Like it's something really familiar and it's close to the heart. And yeah, that makes sense. It's like a very familiar homecoming sort of feeling that you get. So, yeah. Which leads us to our last question for you, Mira. For me? And well, you. it's for both of us, really. Yeah. Um, right, so what have we been listening to as we finish every single episode? What have I been listening to? What have I been listening she to? She says that she's taking out her Spotify. Which no, I'm it's not, literally my... Um, I'm taking out my Spotify just to remind myself. I have been listening to uh, an artist called Imogen Heap. Singer, super talented and really... Her range is something else. Like... And she's also done a track uh, with um, um, Vishal Shekhar, you know the Bollywood composers. No, him um, I don't know. Vishal Dadlani. They've they've done a, um, a. I know lots of people don't like the term, but fusion track. So she, I think she's sung a little bit of Hindi slash Urdu, in it as well, and they sing. Hindi, and it's yeah, I think it's just a really interesting collaboration. But other than that, I think. Um, yeah, I've been listening to her um, songs and also her uh, covers of her songs by the London Contemporary Voices Choir based in London because they are just absolutely fab. Um, so Imogen Heap. Amazing. Yeah. Um, right. At the time of recording, we are nine days, no, eight days away from the new Star Wars coming out. Um, and I am a big Star Wars fan. So I've been listening to uh, a lot of the Star Wars soundtracks. And the one thing I will say is the prequels have given John Williams the excuse to write more Star Wars music. And some of it is absolutely iconic. So even though the films might not be fantastic, the music that came out of them is stunning. And for that reason alone, they are worth having. Also, I was listening to um, some Kawali as well, Allahu by Nusrat. Amazing. Which is just, honestly, Iconic. really, you know, when I'm feeling down and really not feeling so well, um, particularly when there's a lot of mental stress and mental health issues and all that kind of stuff, that's, I go back to that and I'll just, it puts me in a much better mood. Um, Kawali it just, to relax. it like rejuvenates you, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. There's some of it like Muskalander. Um, Mm, if you listen, yeah. if there's a really good performance, if there's a really good version of that, that can really get you going. Uh, so yeah, we can we can stick all of that in 
in the playlist. So just to remind everyone that all the music that we've talked about in this episode and all of the previous episodes, they're available in a Spotify playlist that we will tweet out um, at when every episode goes live. And I think that's us finished for season one. I think that's a wrap. Yay. I think Yay. it was great. Amazing, right? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> the a, end. Sort of like a cliff. Yeah, the end. Bye. Yay, that was wonderful. Should we do that? Should we do the thing? Yeah. What is it? See you then. One, two, three. See, See you, you then. then. <laughs> that was a bit crap. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Generation 21 podcast with me, Mira, and me, Mohammed. Be sure to check out the podcast page on our website, www.saa-uk.org for all episodes episode note including our spotify playlist where we've compiled all the pieces of music that we have been listening to with our guests and trust me you're going to want to hear that eclectic collection you can find more from generation 21 on your favorite podcast apps and follow us on twitter instagram and facebook with the handle at south asian arts uk see you in our next episode bye